Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. A lot of industries have taken a bad beating over the last few years and many had to adapt and pivot to change the changing world. One such industry, of course, is hospitality and it's fell on its knees during the pandemic. But now it's bouncing back, I hope, for a lot. Some sadly had to close down, but not without its own issues. Tonight we're joined by an industry expert to discuss the state of the sector, but not only that, to discuss him. This is like, this is your life, really, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Do you remember that programme? This is your life. Paul Travaux, the owner of Travaux's Restaurant in Killarney and creator and presenter of Travaux's Travels and Travaux's Kitchen. He promotes Ireland as a premium destination with fantastic food all over North America, Canada and Amazon Prime and multiple streaming platforms. And he joins me on the line. He's the kind of celebrity chef. Hi, Paul. Jeez, I, I have to meet that guy. He sounds, he sounds deadly sounds, nice. He does, sound, he does sound fierce and interesting, doesn't, doesn't he? <laughs> and if it wasn't for the fact I know you, I would have believed it all, to be honest, to be honest with you, Paul. <laughs> Paul, how are you keeping? I mean, look, okay, first, let, let's just tackle the beast here. I mean, how's business? Uh, business business is tough at the moment. We're, we're lucky. We're one of the lucky ones. We're, we're Trevo's restaurant there in Killarney on High Street. We're started in 2003. Uh, we've built up our, ourselves a great reputation of delivering real quality food, Irish, in, with a kind of an international team. Uh, and you're, so the, and you're a, the product as well, by the way. You're part of the product. Yeah, the, the, there's a lot of that. I'm very lucky. I've got my brother who's, who's with me as well, business partner, and then the main kind of chef inside in the restaurant. Uh, I've done, obviously, a lot of stuff over promoting, the obviously, the restaurant through my TV shows that I had. Um doing a huge amount on social media, as you know. So, I mean, so people are coming in to see the madman, try the food. <laughs> the um, mad fella <laughs> off social media. I'm going, I'm going yeah, to have yeah. a steak and look at him for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, look, you were hit bad with COVID. You, you were the worst hit, actually, out of all the industries. The nightclub industry, the bar industry, the hotel industry, but particularly as well the restaurant industry. There was a stage yeah. where you were allowed limited amount of people in and all that, which didn't make any money, of course. Now, the government did give some money to keep a lot of places open. Sadly, a lot of places went to the wall and didn't make it. You did. Uh, and are you back now to where you would have been before COVID? Uh, no, is the very honest answer to that. We're, we're now faced with another huge challenge that, again, was out of our control. Uh, that's, that's having a big, big challenge in our industry. And it's not just Killarney or Kerry. It's, it's, it's now widespread throughout the country. And that's a lot of our tourism accommodation has been given over to refugees and asylum seekers so Killarney for example it's, it's probably about 35% of the tourism accommodation has gone over which sounds a lot when, until you compare it to other small towns that you're hearing that it's nearly 80, 90, 100% Which would normally uh, during this, this, summer time, this time of the year full of American tourists or foreign yeah, tourists Yeah, yeah. I mean like to be honest So it, where, it, by the way where are all the tourists staying then? Where, where are they staying? Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of, I suppose, it's supply and demand. So, so what's coming into Killarney is, is, is what gets the, the rooms that are left and the hotels that are left. But then they're kind of going further afield, which is great for other towns. So they might be branching out to Tralee or, or you know, the wider circle of, of Killarney. Um, but there's, like, you look at, say, something like Derry Nan. Derry Nan is a small little town, if even, and it's got one hotel down there. And the whole hotel has been passed over to refugees. And... Like, I mean, not only is the knock-on effect for the people that would have been staying in the hotels obviously now gone, 
But I mean, like the, the, the people who were getting their jobs during the summer there, you know, students who were working in a couple of hours every week just to make a few bob, that's all gone as well. Uh, so, so it's a major, major challenge. I'm not too sure the government thought about what they were doing. Yeah, so, they so the local community, the local uh, commer- uh, commercial industries in the area would be affected because, of course, the refugees don't have much money. Um, they're yeah, not, they're not, you know, tourists come in with wallets full of money and they, and they want to spend it. So they're not going to be going to Travaux's restaurant with the greatest respect. And they're not going to be yeah, spending exactly. their money. Yeah, no, no, as simple as that. So, I mean, like, while the hotel trade statistically might be coming out saying, you know, well, we're full, but, I mean, it's basic economics here. That So let's just say, for argument's sake, it is 40% that's gone. So they're all full of refugees, and that's, you know, citing that they're, they're 100% full. The 60% that are left supply and demand means that they're also going to fill up. But the, the subsidiary businesses, the bars, the restaurants, the knick-knack shops, the touristy kind of gadgets, the jarvies, even the taxi drivers, all those kind of businesses. And Killarney has two businesses. It has tourism and it has the Lieber uh, crane building company. So if you affect one of them, that means, well, we're technically 40% down the footfall in the town. And that's where the major issue is. I said, we're very lucky. We're, we're, we're a long-standing restaurant. We're there over 20 years inside in Killarney. Uh, thankfully, even though some people might argue with me on, on, on Twitter in particular, we have a great reputation. Um, so so we're, we're okay. Uh, I mean, but you be, you, what you're saying to me is you essentially jump from one crisis to another. Yeah, I mean, well, look, every business is the same. I don't want to come across like poor fellas, people listening in there. There's your man giving out and pissing and moaning again. I mean, like this, every business has suffered from, you know, the financial crash to Brexit to COVID to now this. And it's just it's kind of like being self-employed at the moment is just so damn difficult, you know, because you do everything to make sure your staff still have a job. So you sacrifice everything. You work extra hours yourself. You stop your pension. You, you know, you dig into your savings. You do everything you possibly can to keep your business afloat, because at the end of the day, it's it's, it's like your, you know, it's like your baby. You you know, you love it. So you, you do everything you possibly can. To not make it. Oh, you'll work uh, for free. I know I've been in that situation. You work for free yeah, and, and you'll pay other people who are working with you. <laughs> and, you yeah. and you take no yeah. salary. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, but look, I, remember, but I mean, being self employed is a tough thing to do. So setting out yeah. in business in the first place was a tough challenge. And I, I, you know, what kind of brought you? I mean, firstly, were you always interested in food or did you just like eating? <laughs> I mean, we were. <laughs> well, we, thankfully, we, thankfully, this is radio because. If, if this was TV, the answer would probably be the latter. I, I do love my food now. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, and I like the odd glass of wine too or a pint. But uh, we I come from a family of hospitality uh, experts. I suppose Dad was the original executive head chef in Juries and Balls Bridge when it was Juries. It was the, regarded as the top five star hotel in the country. Uh, Dad has cooked for Elvis. He's cooked for Muhammad Ali. He's cooked for Princess Grace. Every mm-hmm. single politician in the 70s and 80s, dad was doing all the, the functions in the hotel for him. And this was like a monster of a machine. Like they're doing five, 6,000 people a night uh, throughout the restaurant, the, the function room that they had on, the coffee dock. Because people listening now will remember the coffee dock. I they remember the, for one hour. I remember I spent, yeah. I spent many a morning in the coffee dock. <laughs> Absolutely, after Lisa Street, probably. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, so, I mean, I, I was very lucky. I'm, I'm the baby in the family. And um, so dad was coming to early retirement as I was growing up. But I mean, like dad was gone seven days a week. And that's just what you did back in the 60s and 70s. You just, I mean, he would tell me, you know, interest rates on on, on mortgages were 22, 23%. Mm -hmm. He was paying 76% emergency tax. And we think we have a tough now. Dad was gone. I mean, you canceled three of your six holidays for this year. We didn't have holidays back then. Like, I mean, it was a different world, obviously, but but it was always... Well, his, the, his it was only the very... Well, I, I can even remember when it was only the very rich went away on a plane. And, and you yeah. know, I, I was very lucky because my father worked in Aer Lingus, so we got a free flight once a year and we got cheap flights. 
But I remember yeah. on the road, like you would always be saying, "Oh, the Murphys are going foreign this year." That was <laughs> that was a big deal, you know, because yeah, they were absolutely. going to they were going to England or something or Spain or somewhere. <laughs> They're going foreign. It was never heard of to go to America. That was a massive deal. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, and that's why when you think about it now, people are kind of going like, it's hard to think back. I mean, I know I'm, geez, I'm almost fifty now. This Sorry, we have okay. Paul. I have Paul back there. Sorry, back. yeah. Sorry, I'm Paul. Back. I lost there for a second. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a tough challenge. So, what made you then decide? I want to get into the business. Uh, when did you start cooking? Were you cooking for young from a young age? Yeah, I remember like when when, when Dad was coming home and he had a bit more time in the house. I, I was sitting on a stool watching him, you know, frying a steak, cooking the chicken, making a sauce, uh, and it was more his love of what he did. He was an like still is. He's he's eighty six. They'll kill me for saying that. But he, yeah, like just a total pro. You know, you know when you're just watching somebody who, who's just brilliant at what they do. And I suppose that's where like it was in the blood. And I just loved the fact that he loved what he what he was doing. And then mom was in this kind of front of house hospitality, which is I think where I got my gift of the gab. Maybe that and kissing the blarney stone a few times. But oh, I mean geez, like so I wouldn't, just I wouldn't be kissing that now. God knows many people have kissed it before you. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> so so I mean that's where I kind of like it was just it was in our blood and all our family and the mom made the biggest mistake by telling us not to get into the business. Imagine that now your parents yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first thing you're gonna do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh so I, w- I went to Carbrew Street and, and, and studied hotel management of business studies and, and then I kinda set on the journey of working in different hotels, different bars, restaurants around the country and around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, then I decided it's time to, to do it myself. It's funny, actually, because I worked in one hotel chain, a family hotel chain, and we kind of cut a long story short. We, and I actually, I wrote a book. It's called The Hooker in the Lobby. There's some very funny stories in it. The Hooker in the Lobby? The Hooker in the Lobby, yeah. Yeah, go on. So tell, was, tell me the story of The Hooker in the Lobby. I'm dying to know now. So, so, so The Hooker in the Lobby, I was working in a very well-known hotel in Dublin. And I was. Uh, is that the one that's not? Uh, is that the one that's not there anymore? No, no, it's still there. Still oh, okay. There. Because I, because I, I thought you were going to talk about the Royal Dublin. Do you remember the Royal Dublin Hotel? I do, of course, I do. Which indeed, was very yeah. famous for the hooker in the lobby. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm 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 uh, the manager on that night, and we're kind of finishing up around half eleven or twelve. And at the time, the the manager's office was right behind uh, the reception desk. You could see straight into the lobby. And I was, you know, doing my bits and pieces. And all of a sudden I look up and I see this woman completely naked in the middle of the lobby. And I'm talking, there are like 50, 60 to 100 people walking in and out of the bar, restaurant, front door. And I'm kind of going, am I the only one that can see this? <laughs> so I was straight out to the night manager who was coming on. I went, can you see what's going on? He goes, yeah, we were wondering what we said. Mother of God. I said, go get a sheet or a towel or a blanket. Cover her up, for God's sake. Mind yeah, the children. absolutely. <laughs> but like the incredible thing was like people were just kind of walking by going, all right, okay. A naked woman. <laughs> absolutely. So, so, so I, got, I got her into the office and uh, got her thankfully covered with a, a blanket. And I said, listen, you've got... Now, the area that we were in at the time would have been well-known for, let's just say, uh, the ladies of the night. Yes. And I turned around and I said, listen, you've, you've got one chance to explain what the hell's going on here. I said, otherwise, I said, I'm going to have to call the cops. And she goes, I've just been pretty much assaulted in a room. Oh, oh no. My God. So I turn around and I, I don't care what anyone says. When, when you hear a lady say that, you know, of course, I mean, yeah. the, you, you, the first thing you do is you go into defense mode. So I said, I said, give me the room number. Uh, part of this is actually very funny and part of it is obviously then very sad. So she gives me the room number and let's just say for argument's sakes, it was 331. And she goes, they're foreign. So, so I look at it and I go, it's the Scottish people that are in it. And I was okay, Scottish, okay, maybe strong accents. I can see where she thinks. So I went up in the lift and I knock on the door. And I kid you not, when like a guy of around 90 opens the door 
And he says to me, is there a fire? I said, no, 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 I'm really sorry. There's no fire. And he goes, come on, honey. He said, better get up. There's a fire. I said, there's no fire. I said, go back. I said, listen, I'm so sorry for, you know, disrupting you. I said, look, we chat in the morning anyway. Good long story short, came back down. I said, right. I said, I'm going to have to call the guards. And she goes, well, then it was tree one tree. And I went, I'm not going through every single room of this hotel to find out. And anyway, I said, do you know what? I could see that she was shook. So I put in tree one tree into the computer. And uh, all of a sudden, I see tree, I won't say the country, just in case somebody's going to give out to me, but it was tree definite foreign people. And I went up and I went, oh, my God. Anyway, they wouldn't open the door. I had the master key to go in. And they basically called me every name under the sun. And I went, all right, lads, no problem. So called the boys. Uh, and the guards arrived down. And the biggest guard I've ever met in my life walked through the door. He looked about eight foot. He looked like a man out of Game of Thrones. Anyway, came in, no problems, Paul. We'll take it from here. So up he went, took the passport and turned around to your man. He said to the three guys, you've got to spend the night in with us now, lads. You can do whatever you want in our country, but you don't abuse our women. So to cut a long story short, I came back down to her, to the girl, and uh, I said, listen, sorry about that. You know, the guys are saying you're a prostitute. She goes, no, 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 I'm a hooker. And I went, okay, okay. And I went, is there a difference? And she goes, well, there is to me. Okay. And I went, look, my thing is, is that, you are protected, you're okay, and that you're safe now. And I said, listen, you know, and we kind of... And, we, we and the three of them were arrested. The three guys were arrested. So, so when the guard, I rang the guards afterwards, and they said they're getting a flight actually back home tomorrow at around 10, so we'll release them around half 10. Right, so, <laughs> so they, were, they were chucked out of the country royally. Exactly. You know, now, so, nowadays, they would have spent the night in a cell and then be brought to a court the next morning and lashed into jail, hopefully. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Like, this, this is 20-odd this is years ago. Of course, but, yeah. I mean, uh, the funny thing is, is I was roll on the clock about, uh, oh, there's actually more, it's about 25 years ago. So roll on the clock there about in 2004, 2005, and we'd open up our restaurant in 2003. And somebody turns around to me and she goes, uh, is there chicken on the chicken bruschetta? And I, I pissed myself laughing. Because like, I, thought, I thought they were joking. And I said, yeah. uh, so seriously, what are you having? And she goes, is there actually chicken on the chicken bruschetta? And I went, geez, you're actually serious. So when I put the order through, I went up to the office and I said, you know what I should do? I should actually just start writing down stupid questions of what people ask me in the restaurant. And about an hour later, I had three chapters written in my book. So I just, it's basically the behind the scenes, how <laughs> staff speak, you know, there was, there was a know, famous yeah. line on, on on the, on the doors in Jury's Hotel. I, I was going to do that once as a DJ. I worked in the DJs in the nightclubs and it was the stupid things people said to you when you come up or the most obvious things <laughs> that people say to you. <laughs> you know, people say, it, the most common thing said to every DJ and every DJ will resonate with this one I said is somebody would come up, usually a girl, and they go, have you got anything decent? That was, I don't know what it is, <laughs> I, and I, but I had an answer for all of these sayings. My answer usually was, <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> that usually, they kind of go, oh, okay. Uh, or they say, will you play something decent, you know? Or what have you got? Yes. You're like, we used to have thousands <laughs> of records, and they'd Everything. go, and they'd say, what have you got? And I'm going to ask, hey, do you want to have a look? Or do you want me to start an A and go to B? Anyway, you became a chef. You decided to open your own restaurant. I'm not going to cut a long story short. It's just uh, I want to, I'm conscious of a lot of texts I want to read out to you here, by the way, about people looking no for problem. tips. But you became a chef. You decided, I'm going to open my own restaurant. At what point did you become the celebrity chef or the TV chef? Where, when did that break come along? Well, it, it was funny. So I, so I have an issue with a lot of TV chefs. This is funny when you think about it. Uh, because a lot of them are, you know, full of shite, basically. Yeah, and, and egotistical I, and arseholes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's like <laughs> when you watch anything that's on TV. I mean, if you saw, you know, a reality DJ show, or you'd be kind of going, that's not how you do it. So, so I started doing a lot of stuff on social media. And... Uh, the first video I did was filmed on the crappest of crappest uh, phones that, like, I mean, the pixels were awful on it. And basically, it was back in, I think it was around 2000 and, I'm trying to think, about 2012 when we had really bad snow. 
and uh, maybe 2010, I can't remember offhand. But anyway, we had really bad snow, and it was the first time we were beginning to pick up for the winter after the kind of financial crash. And I said, this is great, we're flying. And then all of a sudden, the media are fantastic. We've snow for three weeks in Ireland, and everybody started cancelling. I said, geez, it could be 20 degrees tomorrow in December. You just don't know. Anyway, we got one big group that cancelled their Christmas party, and I had a pair of shorts, a T-shirt, and went up the top of uh, the Kerry Mountains, and it was about minus 10 degrees. I had a few scallops, and I cooked off this dish, and I, I called it freezing my scallops off. <laughs> I, I had no shoes on. I had a tiny T-shirt on, and it was cold. So I, I they did freeze your scallops off, actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uploaded it up onto Facebook, and the following morning, it was about 150,000 views. Now, that was when 150,000 views was was a big, big deal, of course, I yeah. Went, I said, Jesus, this is mad. So uh, good pals would, would keep Barry, and he was yapping away. He said, you got to keep going. You can't stop now. You can't be a Chesney Hawks, which are one-hit wonder. you got to keep going with something else. So I said, you know what I do? I cook up a tree. No one's ever climbed up a tree and cooked up it. So I went up in the brother-in-law's farm, about 150 feet. I actually should have made a video of me climbing up in the tree because it was just it was insane what we did. But anyway, I went up, and I cooked quail. And I was kind of taking the piss by saying, listen, uh, you know, it's not, a, never mind local. It's all about bringing the food back to where it came from, cooking quail in a tree. <laughs> now, anybody knows anything about food knows quail can't fly. But that was my subtle dig at all these other TV chefs to go, I know you're talking nonsense, guys. So again, that got a huge amount of, of views. And, and then all of a sudden, I, I challenged the then Minister for Health to a race because they were talking about putting calories on menus. Won't mention any names. Anyway, and uh, I a picture outside the front of the restaurant with my sweatbands on and my shorts and my tennis gear and we're going to run 83 metres and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, that just went all over the place. And then I entered, entered a competition uh, on YouTube run by Simon Cowell, which is basically, you know, Britain's Got Talent, but the world got chefs. talent. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and one of the categories was cooking. Jamie Oliver was the, was, was the judge, and all of a sudden he goes, I've no idea how to pronounce this guy's name, but this is definitely one to watch. And that was the huge turning point. All of a sudden I'm on the Brendan O'Connor show. I'm having a laugh. We're chatting with a well-known station here in, in, in Ireland, well-known network, about doing a load of shows, and all of a sudden, died. Nothing. And I went, what the hell? And about two months later, I see my idea uh, on the show, on the TV. And this is very common in the world of TV. Of course, I, I yeah. I not believe it. So then there was a new channel that started off. I don't know if people remember Irish TV. I remember Irish TV. Yeah, that was based in Kildare somewhere, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Down in, in Westport in, in the Mayo, but they had they had they had um, kind of what's it, production companies all around the country. I, I know the guy, I know the guy responsible for it. I knew the guy that was he was actually a, a presenter on this radio station for a while. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So um, so. All of a sudden, they ring me up and say, what's the story with this other channel? And I went, well, it looks like it's fallen through. So they went, well, will you be our resident TV chef? And I went, really? And, like, this was now, it was car crash TV, the stuff that was going on, because it was zero <laughs> budget. Not a little, like, I mean, small budget. It was Known him, budget. yes, it was, zero yeah. budget, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so we made, actually, nine episodes out of my old YouTube videos that were filmed on crappy camera phones. Like, yeah. yeah. But do you know what? It just it proved the point. My greatest... Uh, TV chef that I watch is Keith Floyd. Like he, he's just—he's an absolute. Now, I, I was just going to mention Keith Floyd. So Keith is the guy who gets pissed while he's cooking. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's the one who goes, <laughs> "Okay, just put a half a glass of wine in into the chicken and drink the other half yourself." I love it. I absolutely love. I used to watch him years ago, and I used to watch that other. And my, my mother used to always watch this couple. They were an elderly couple. Fanny oh, Craddock. I know who you're on about. Was it Fanny yeah, Craddock? Fanny Craddock. 
Annie Craddock was amazing. She'd say, at the Christmas now, this was back in and the And she had her husband nowadays. standing beside her. He was like a lapdog. Yeah, and whatever you do, don't let him carve the turkey. He <laughs> thinks he can carve the turkey. Don't let him carve, tell him to pour the wine. She was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. By the way, people, um, loads of people are texting questions here for you, by the way. Somebody says, now, can you ask the chef, do you get all the starch off the cooked pasta, uh, washing it with hot water? It doesn't seem to take it all off. So, so what I do now is, and, and a load of the videos that I do, is I say, so boil up your pasta as per the packet instructions and then refresh it, which means you just run it under cold water. And then that way you can cook it again anytime you want. You can throw it into a frying pan and heat it up. You can put it 30 seconds into a microwave to heat it up. But after a day or two, the starch will come back out again. And that's what the caller is saying there. It gets stodgy and it feels like it's all stuck. And all you have to do is just rinse it again under the cold water to get rid of all that. Some people will say cover it all in oil and that way it won't stick. That's a waste of oil. Just take out whatever you need and rinse it under cold water again. Problem solved. Save your oil. And, by the way, there's all these TV chefs who'll turn around and say, put loads of salt, make the water taste like the sea. A load of crap. Have you ever tasted the sea? It's disgusting. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't put any salt, just boil it in plain water and then season your sauces that you're going to cook the pasta in afterwards. Uh, somebody else says, Paul, what is the best way to dry chilli peppers, garlic, etc., to grind up later on for seasoning? Well, you can, I'll tell you what a load of people do is that we don't really have the weather, even though we're having it right now at the moment, is they'll put kind of like a, a, a sewing needle through a tread and just hang it at the window, at the windowsill for the sun to We used to do in. that so with the magic the mushrooms when I was 17. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> but but I'll, I'll tell you now, if you're growing them and you want to, I mean, some people put them into the, the hot press or that kind of stuff. But if we're getting the weather, I mean, what they do in Spain and Portugal is they light them out on these huge kind of grates and they're just the sun. They're actually, you know, where you get the sun-dried tomatoes, they kind of dry naturally out there. But the world we're living in nowadays is you can get such good quality stuff in supermarkets, in great delis and local delis, or even online now, buy them. That's my, uh, the, it's like the sweet chili sauce. How do you make sweet chili sauce? There's a fella in Taiwan who does it brilliantly. Just give him the, <laughs> give him the money. Buy it in Asda. Aldi, sorry. Too short for that. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, I have to say, it's just, chili sauce is so cheap to buy anyway. Why would you want yeah, to yeah. make it yourself? Well, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. So he says, hi, Nile. Just having a salmon darn. What's a salmon darn? I don't know. So a salmon darn, well, yeah. So he, he says there's a sprinkle of lemon juice and into the oven, basmati rice, mixed veg, cooked in vegetable stock cube. Has Paul any tips to make it a better meal out of it? Absolutely. Get it, pop open a glass of uh, Shiraz or even a nice kind of Sauvignon Blanc. Tom Dorley would love me for that now, giving the Shiraz red wine with salmon to drink. That's always a great thing. I think I'll have white wine because I'm having chicken or I'm having fish. The rule is drink whatever you like. doesn't matter a damn. If you like red wine with fish, drink it. So that's all you have. Just make sure it's seasoned. Like, that's the most important thing in, in cooking. I say in all my shows, it's season, season, season. That's the most important thing. If you season the most amazing ingredients badly, you'll ruin it. But if you season the average, bang average, you know, a chicken drumstick that you get in a supermarket, it well, tastes wonderful. You taste yeah, amazing. I know, yeah. So, yeah. And seasoning is salt and pepper. Just use flaked rock salt all the time. Never mind that powdery stuff that's rotten. When they take out all the good salt from the mines, that stuff is left on the ground. Use the proper flaked rock salt. It's fantastic. Okay, I, I was told I have a, a starred message here to play for you. Okay, well, let me just see if this will play all right. Let me just see. Hi, Niall there. I just want to ask Paul, um, when you are roasting either chicken or turkey, is it a waste of time um, literally smothering the butter over it? Because 
I tend to find, I do it anyway, but I tend to find that um, the butter just runs off it. So I'm kind of, am I just wasting that? So what I tend to do now is I tend to just put the butter inside the chicken, not inside, under the skin instead. Um, is that the right or wrong thing to do? And do you cover the chicken and then take the foil off? Okay, there you go. That's that, that, so there was a there was a chicken question and a turkey question in there. So the chicken. So when you see all the guys saying put in a half pound of butter under the skin and all that, the second you put butter into a hot oven is exactly as the caller said. It's all in the tray, literally within a minute. And then you're opening and closing the the oven to kind of baste it and all that. I've never basted a chicken or a turkey in my life, and I've never opened and closed the oven while it's been cooking. So what I do. I'm talking a standard chicken, large chicken now. It's about 190, sorry, 1,900 grams, about two, about two kgs of a chicken. One hour, 45 minutes. You put a tiny little bit of olive oil onto your hand and massage the skin. And the only reason why you're doing that is so that your seasoning will stick to it because the chicken skin is naturally fatty and it's going to crispen up anyway. So I've never put butter on it. I've never put a load of stuff into it to kind of smother it with, with fat. You don't need to do it all. 180 degrees, make sure the oven is preheated and take it out after an hour and 45 minutes. Your chicken is cooked perfectly. I roast my chick and my turkey every Christmas and everyone says, oh, it's 20 minutes per pound plus 20 minutes. And you hear these guys with a 16 pound turkey is, I don't know, do the maths there, whatever. It's, it's nearly six hours. It wouldn't <laughs> take six hours to cook me. So I do it for a turkey is a big difference now. I put it in at a lower temperature and I stuff a whole bottle of wine, and I have to clarify this because this is the world we live in. I said, no, no, pour the wine into the turkey. Don't put the actual bottle of wine into the turkey. <laughs> pour the wine into the turkey. Cover it loosely with tin foil for about two hours at about 140, 150 degrees, and then take the tin foil off and finish roasting it at 180. And the turkey is cooked very simply when the turkey is cooked because everyone's ovens are different. So I might, it might take me another hour maybe an hour and a half maximum. I cooked a 20-pound turkey this Christmas in three hours. That's how long it took using that technique. Okay. And you get the most perfect turkey every time. My question, very quickly. I have a question from my producer as well, who's clearly as thick as prank. But she says, <laughs> she's pretending, that she's actually put it on my screen, pretending it's a text from a listener. And I know uh, it's not, because I can see the text from the listeners, right? So I'll come to her text in a second, all right? But my question is, roast beef. Now, for yes. years, I've been cooking it in cooking oil. But I've been okay. told I'm wrong. I just can't seem to get it right. It's either just, it's just too tough when I cook it. Okay, so there's a couple of things. First of all, it, the joints that you use is very important that you're using the right thing. So the perfect, for me, the perfect roast beef is the rib of beef on the bone. That's my, so that's like the big ribeye steak, but you're getting it on the bone and you're probably getting about four or five of the ribeye steaks together in one big lump. So you're it's lovely fatty meat. It's lovely. Uh, it's perfect for, uh, for, 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 um, for when you let it rest. That's what's crucial. You've got to let, let the beef rest. A lot of people take it straight out of the oven and start carving it straight away. So just imagine when you take the beef out of the oven, it's all like, oh, my God, that was roasting in there. And it's all tight. And then you start slicing it straight away. All the juice falls out of it, and it goes as tough as hell. So beef, exactly like the chicken, is get a little bit of oil, rub it all over, and season it well with your salt and pepper. And here's the greatest tip. Get a red-hot pan, nothing else in it that's big enough, to put that beef in when it's smoking hot and you basically just want to seal all around the beef. Then put it into your oven for about... So no oil, no water, no oil. 
No, so you've already oiled the beef. So don't put so put it into a dry pan. So that oh, okay. way, if you, uh, because otherwise, if you put beef into a pan that's hot with oil, it'll start spitting all over the place at you because beef will have a little bit of water in it as well. So oil the beef, not the pan. And then you put that into a red, smoking hot pan. Or if you don't have a pan big enough, maybe on a barbecue. I don't, that won't somewhere. burn the bottom of the beef or anything like that. No, no, no it won't. It'll just... Because somebody else said to me, somebody else said, get a few slices of carrot and put it on that to keep it up off the... the, the Bottom of the that's tray. Af- that's after you've seared it. So okay. once you've sealed it all off, then you can, that's called a trivet, a fancy name for a trivet. So that means the beef isn't touching the roasting tray. So you put it on a few carrots or a couple of diced up onions and garlic, and then that will form your gravy then afterwards. And then you just roast it for however well you want it done, medium yeah. rare, well done, whatever. But the important thing is, is you take the beef out and you want to give it at least, at least 20 minutes. Same with a leg of lamb. Okay. At least 20 minutes sitting there to rest. Okay, I have three minutes here. And so this, here's the text allegedly from a listener, <laughs> right? Uh, what is the quickest, most nutritious, idiot-free meal, please? I am totally crap. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know what, actually? I'm I, I going to tell you a brilliant thing. And this is for anyone who's listening who's got kids or themselves who are mad into sport. I do this. Once a week, I get two huge chickens, roast them off exactly like I said to you, an hour and 45 minutes. I boil up a bag of pasta, tagliatelle or penne pasta or whatever, and then I mix one chicken with half the bag with a pesto, and then I mix another chicken with the other half or the other bag of pest, uh, pasta with some like sweet chili and lemon juice and all that kind of stuff, and I put them both into the fridge. And when the kids turn around and say, Dad, I have a soccer match or I'm this or I'm that, a Gaelic or rugby or whatever, I say, go out there, take out your chicken and your pasta, bang it in the microwave for two minutes. You don't have to cook for the rest of the week for them. That is the most idiot-proof dish that you ever can do. It, and it's so simple. One day of cooking, five days of sitting back, listening to your microwave going, bing, well, dinner's ready. Well, there you go, anonymous texter, Jane. <laughs> there, there you go. You know now what to do with your idiot-proof. Tell her I'll WhatsApp, I'll WhatsApp her the video later. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> it's been wonderful talking to you, Paul. Um, and I know you're oh, getting a lot so off your chest at the moment. You're getting it off. If people want to follow his social media, Paul Travaux, you will see he gets a lot off his chest. He tags me now and again just to entertain me. And uh, <laughs> he's getting a lot. And he, he even quotes me every now and again and then ha- and has a go as well. He's a wonderful man. Um, and the restaurant, of course, is in Killarney. It's called Travaux's Restaurant in Killarney. I must. I still haven't had a chance to drop down to Killarney, and I will. I promised during COVID that time I will do it after COVID, but I definitely will get down to you. Because as, we, as I tell everyone, Niall, that because they're all going to, once I hang up, they're going to go, what did they say the name of it is? And they'll never remember. So ladies, we're right across the road from Petty's, and lads, we're right beside Paddy Powers. <laughs> Travaux's Restaurant in Killarney. And if you want to go down there, just give them a bell for us, make sure they have seats for you, all right? But they'll always try their best to look after you. And Paul will give you the personal touch. He'll even moan at the table for you if you want. I don't mean Absolutely. in that way. Absolutely, for all free. Right? <laughs> Paul, it's been wonderful talking to you. You're a wonderful man, uh, and we've known you Thank many you so years. Listen, thanks very much indeed. Take care. There you go, Bye-bye. Paul Travaux, Travaux's Restaurant in Killarney. And don't forget, by the way, you can go online as well there, and you can book online as well. And don't forget as well, there is books available too, uh, all available on Amazon Prime. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award winning Nile Boylan Show. Ireland's classic hit.